Okay. Hi, everyone. So, it occurred to me that um, I've referred in passing to the concept of anthropocentrism quite a bit throughout the, uh, the various episodes that we've done, but I've never really actually said much about it. So, because I think it's a, it's a super important term, I thought I'd uh, meditate on it a bit. So, well, here goes then. Okay, so I think it's safe to say that for several millennia, we humans have assumed an anthropocentric orientation or, or outlook. And what does this mean exactly? Well, it means that we have pretty much um, positioned ourselves, humans, as the center of all meaning, value, and knowledge. Or maybe another better way of saying it is that anthropocentrism is a doctrine of human supremacy that advocates privileging humans above everything and therefore subordinates all non-human perspectives, interests, and beings. Now, like I said, anthropocentric views have been around for thousands of years. You know, like we see them a lot in, um, in old creation stories, where humans are put at the center of things and have been given dominion over the earth and so on by the gods. But here's the thing. In some sense, this really wasn't full-fledged anthropocentrism. Now why? Well, because ultimately, everything was still grounded in something beyond humans. Namely, the gods. It's the gods that created and ruled and built a world for us and acted as mediators. Okay, so even though it's there in part, when does this view of human supremacy really come to the fore then? Well, the answer to that is that anthropocentrism doesn't come into its um, purest form until modernity, or more accurately, the Enlightenment period. That is, when belief in divinity waned and humans started to realize that they could rule the world without any religious constraint whatsoever. It was really then that we began to conceive of ourselves as completely above and entirely distinct from all else. And now why was this exactly? Well, basically because of three characteristics that we thought were absolutely exclusive to us. Namely, one, the capacity to reason. Two, the capacity for autonomy or, or self-determination. And so because of these things, three, a special dignity or intrinsic self-worth that only we possess, which must be respected. Okay, now, I guess it's not hard to see that part of the consequence of this anthropocentrism is, well, a human-animal dualism, where humans are, are totally separated from animals where humans and animals are split up into two homogenous, totally opposed kinds of beings. Now, here's the thing I think we can question a lot here. I mean, first of all, how rational is it to, to claim that we are so distinct from animals, when clearly the, the empirical evidence shows us that there's both a, a continuum and an abundance of species capacities? That's to say, those capacities that we think are exclusive to us, like, um, like planning, or, or reasoning, or self-recognition, are actually shared by many other animals. To paraphrase the, the primatologist Franz de Waal, 
there are human-like characteristics of animals and animal-like characteristics of humans. So, at the end of the day, despite what we might think, humans are just not an exclusive class that's defined by what all other animals lack. Okay, but what's even more problematic and more ironic with this anthropocentric view is that it's this supposed human excellence that's partly the cause of, and at the heart of, a dehumanized world. That's to say, when you postulate this strong human-animal binary, you not only exclude animals from moral consideration, because of course they have no intrinsic value, but because of this ranking and ordering, you also end up seeing other humans as potentially subhuman. And we all know the awful consequences of this. Oh, and, and there is one more thing. So this human-animal binary not only pits us against animals and against other humans, but it also alienates us from our own selves. That's to say, to think of ourselves as distinctly human only alienates us from our own animal desires and bodies. Okay, so here's the, the big question then. Are we really as human, in this uh, special elevated sense, as we think we are? I mean, first of all, the Copernican revolution, the, um, the heliocentric discovery, reveals, of course, that we're not quite as central and as important as we sometimes think we are, let alone the, the product of some uh, purposeful creation. And I don't know who said this better than uh, Nietzsche, who said, In some remote corner of the universe, poured out and glittering in innumerable solar systems, there once was a star on which clever animals invented knowledge. That was the highest and most mendacious minute of world history. Yet only a minute. After nature had drawn a few breaths, the stars grew cold, and the clever animals had to die. Okay, and then finally, there's this matter of our, our freedom and dignity. I mean, are we really that free? Hasn't the, the discovery of the, of the unconscious in all of its various ways shown us that we're driven by all sorts of hidden processes, that we're not as self-driven or self-determining as we think we are? And hey, are we even really transparent to ourselves? Do we even really know ourselves? Like Socrates warned us, perhaps we're a monster more complicated than Typhon, one of the more deadlier creatures in Greek mythology. So, I don't know. Maybe we're not quite as human as we think we are. And maybe humanism is not all it's cut out to be. And hey... Maybe that's not such a bad thing. <laughs>